Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Imagine this, and it may not be hard for you to be in America and think this, but imagine that those who say they follow God aren't. Imagine those that verbally affirm over and over and over that there's that their God is the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, the God that we follow. And they don't. Maybe not explicitly by their words, but by their actions. They don't. And God's told you specifically. You specifically to go and speak out against them. And you're not just speaking out against those that are like, you know, like you, that look like you and act like you, that spend the same amount of money as you. He's asking you to go and speak out against those in power. Those that could probably take you out. But the voice of God has told you so. And it's not that he's just told you to say, hey, y'all read your Bibles more. But he said, hey, you're crushing the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. It's not hard to imagine these things right now, right? It's not hard. But God's called you to it. He's told you to it. That's your mission. Now your method is to speak. You're supposed to proclaim. You've been called to call out. It's not a far-fetched time in a social media age to have to speak out, right? I feel like we're under obligation to do that sometimes, sometimes more than others. And thinking that you've been called by God to do this mission with His methods, motivated to accomplish His will and His victory, you would assume that those that you tell to change would actually do that. But instead of them turning to God, they turn to you. They persecute you. They isolate you. They even kidnap you to a different country and throw you into essentially prison. And it's not like your sermons have been all hellfire and brimstone. You've even thrown in some hope. Surely you'd think that by following God, by calling out what He's told you to do, that some people would turn. But in reality, only one person really turns around. This is the life of Jeremiah. As far as we can tell, Jeremiah had about one person that turned around other than himself. No one else turned around. God's way had led to an unusual outcome for Jeremiah's life. And he had some awful days where he believed maybe he wasn't doing it right. But he took God's command seriously to walk in the way of wisdom and fear of God and held to God's way. The way that Jeremiah did live did not gain him a win in this life. Yet it can't be ignored that he was called. It can't be ignored. He was motivated by his calling. And his methods lined up with what God told him to do. And some of them were really strange. It wasn't just speaking. There was some prophetic imagination there that sometimes you're just saying, like, why? Why that? You know, and and that's just kind of the way it went for Jeremiah. But no one really turned. You see, the method by which he went about accomplishing what he was told to do in this life was according to God's way. 
And God's way doesn't always look like a win in this life. God's wisdom is different than the way the world wins. God doesn't win the way the world does. And in Ecclesiastes today, we're just going to see that, that God's wisdom doesn't win the way the world does. This summer, we've been working through Ecclesiastes, if you've been here. We've called the series Hevel. And uh, Hevel is the word that the speaker throughout Ecclesiastes uses, and the speaker, his name is Kohelet, or the preacher in some of our translations. Kohelet is the Hebrew word for gatherer, so we gather people to instruct them. And he'd use the word Hevel here to explain smoke, and use that smoke to explain what life really is like. Throughout his text, he's pondering what life is really about, what it means to live the good life, its purposes, its reality, and really critiques it. He says that life is like smoke, beautiful at moments, but entirely impossible to grasp sometimes. He uses the term Hevel to, 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 to really level the way that we understand that life is confusing, mysterious, and enigmatic. And the way that life goes really undermines what the world views as a win. In the, life of, uh, in the midst of all this, Kohelet offers God's wisdom as a way to live, the preferred way to live. Now, according to what our pastor preached not long ago, even wisdom has its limits. Wisdom doesn't always work out the way that we imagine that wisdom will work out. It has limits. It's not as Pastor Joel Olstein would say, as simple as think your way towards victory, right? Uh, you can't think your way to your best life now. Kohelet uh, uh, would come and say, there's a glitch in the matrix, right? It doesn't work out like that. It doesn't always work out to think your way towards something. In fact, Kohelet stands in stark contrast to that. Last week we looked at the impassibility and the reality of death. It will come, and so seize and savor your life with this limited time you got. Now today, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 9. So if you're not there, you can turn to chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. What we're going to see today is that God's wisdom... And this is going to start in verse 11. We're going to see that God's wisdom doesn't win the way that the world does. God's wisdom doesn't win the way that the world does. It doesn't win the way the world does in its missions, its motivations, and in its methods. God's wisdom just doesn't win the way that the world does. By mission, I mean goal. And by methods, I mean the ways in which you go achieving that goal. And by motivation, it's our purpose in trying to achieve that goal. Jeremiah's win was walked out in his life with a mission, a certain method and a stirring of motivations according to God's wisdom and not the world's. In order for his life to be counted as a win, Jeremiah's mission was entirely motivated by something else, something different. And therefore, he took different actions in life different than the world would look at, different than what the world would consider. And what we'll see today is that if our missions or our motivations or our methods are out of joint with the way of wisdom, we may be expecting something that God's never promised, or we may be working towards something that will in the end end up like Hevel. It will end up like smoke. We may end up more in step with what the world would call a win and not what our Lord would call a win. But before we get there, let's look at chapter 9, verses 11 through 18. If you will, we're going to start in verses 11 through 12. So let me read them and then we'll break them down. 
verses 11 and 12 of chapter 9. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man doesn't know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. What's Kohelet getting at here? Is he suggesting that our life is left to chance? Well, if we look at the beginning of chapter 9, he actually says that indeed everyone, the faithful and the faithless, are all found in the hands of God. They're all under his kingship. So I think what he's getting at is what our perspective usually looks like. That life is confusing. It seems like chance most days. Most days it seems like those who are terrible get the win, and those who are righteous tend to lose. He's getting at the idea that you can't predict anything in this life. He's beginning to pull back the hollowness of the way the world looks at a win or works towards it. Look at what he says there at the conclusion. Right there at verse 12. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like they're caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. He's saying that the sudden turns of life happen to everyone. No matter how hard you work, no matter how big of a fish you are, no matter how quick of a fish you are, that net still rips and it comes out and it'll pull you out. You can't predict it. It really tends to undermine any sort of predictability for us. Both parties, whether you're good or bad, the suddenness of change and chance make life kind of difficult to navigate through. Verses 13 through 16 says this. Follow along if you want. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered that city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So he's giving us a little anecdote, a little memory of his. There's a city, it's small, overtaken by a great king with an army, a mass military. But this little nobody of a man comes along to deliver the city. This poor, wise man saves the city through God's wisdom. Lives are saved, delivered from the king's rule, and the king leaves town. And guess what? No one commemorates the man. He doesn't end up in a palace. He doesn't have currency with his face on it. No one even thinks to throw a party. You don't even know his name. That's how memorable he is. But, against incredible odds, he delivers the lives of others. You can see this poor wise man's mission towards the end. It was to deliver the city. And his way of wisdom, or way of winning, was wisdom. Notice that he was poor, so the way of wisdom really didn't accrue for him what the king already had. His methods of practicing wisdom hadn't accrued for him the things that the world would consider a win. And he didn't get money afterwards either. He wasn't celebrated. But God's wisdom was stronger than might. His motivation was love for others. His self-denial brought them life. Because he truly took a risk. I mean, poor wise man, king. 
He defies the king. He's putting his life at risk. It even says in that text that there were few men in it, which I think is suggesting and lending the idea that there's no one there to fight the king. So it's just poor wise man versus king and his army. He took a risk, a self-sacrificial risk. But look at the king. His mission? Sack the city. How did he fight? How did he go about winning? He brought many men, weapons, and he used his might to fight. By all means up to this point, this king is hashtag winning, right? That's old, but it's true. And after this incident, the king may have went on to conquer others and accrue power, fame, well, you know, up, took a loss, but no one's going to remember that city. In this case, though, he didn't win against wisdom. The king's mission, motivations, and methods that had won him wealth didn't win this time. That which he went about to get the good life didn't win this time. And all that the king had wasn't granted to the poor man. They didn't switch spots. The poor man continued in poverty. The poor man continued in just practicing the way of wisdom. But wisdom overcame. God's wisdom that the poor man followed and God's way, the fear of him, and keeping his commands gave life to that city. And if you're honest, probably he preferred to do it a different way. I would be intimidated. I don't know about you. I'd be intimidated to come against a king. And I would be kind of frustrated if no one remembered me afterwards. But he trusted God. And he went on towards poverty and anonymity. He wasn't remembered. No one knows him. He's anonymous. No one knows him. The conclusion that Kohelet makes here is that wisdom is mightier than fighting through power, through the world's standards. It's powerful and can save others, but it's not going to gain you what the world gains whenever it uses its methods. It's not particularly attractive either. It doesn't set the same missions or the same goals, and it doesn't win with the same methods or the same motivation of the world. This poor man follows the wisdom of God and is forgotten. Have you heard the quote, preach the gospel and be forgotten? Preach the gospel, be forgotten. That's much of the essence of the gospel, right? This poor man does what God has called him to do, not to be remembered, but to deliver. But the way he went about keeping God's wisdom away brought about the good of others, even if he didn't see the good in his own lifetime. And we said this to Jeremiah earlier. Jeremiah did not see a lot of results in his life. He was not on Gary V's list of successful people, right? Jeremiah, by all means, might as well had been defeated. But Jeremiah's life, through his writings found in our Bible, through his ministry that we can recall now, has brought light and salvation to many, even far past his own time. Even his own people commemorate him still through their scriptures, even though, even though he did not follow uh, the way of the world. God's wisdom doesn't win the way the world does, and it didn't and doesn't achieve the victories the same as the king. It's a categorically, uh, categorically different win. You're not fighting for the same thing. Not fighting for the same thing. Look at verses 17 through 18 real quick, and then we'll get into the kind of how, how do we deal with this text? Well, what, what, do we, what do we do with this? Verse 17 through 18. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Again, Kohelet is breaking it down, pitting the way of the world and the way of wisdom. 
God's wisdom, the way of the world. It's proverbial in nature. The words of the wise, said in quiet, people actually hear them. The shouting of a king among fools, no matter how many people there are, they don't listen, they don't change. The wise words were found in small community, the empty shouts of an unheard king in a city. Wisdom operates completely different than the way the world does. You're judged by your followers, not by people who hear you. You're judged by how many people come after you, but not how many lives you actually change. The way of wisdom and the way of the world are completely different. The message of the wise were, wi- were quiet and not self-seeking. The ruler, loud, gathering a whole crowd, but no one really heard him. The wise was motivated to be heard. The ruler, he just wanted to see, be seen with a bunch of people, clamoring for him, but no one actually changes. The methods of winning in this case are completely different. Then he goes on to say this. He actually says, and uh, it says that wisdom is better than making war. Eugene Peterson in his message translation says this. Uh, he, he contrasts, he says, wisdom is better than warheads. Wisdom is better than warheads. So often our world prefers tanks, guns, and warheads than actually walking in the wisdom of God. He's saying here wisdom is better than a sword. Better than a concealed weapon. Wisdom is better than our Second Amendment. Wisdom is a preferred weapon to take on the mission of God. Even if you look this week, and 45 said this, right? He said, uh, they asked him about the war in Afghanistan, how long it had been going on, which it has gone on for a long time, that's true. And he said, but I could wrap this up in 10 days. Afghanistan would be off the map. But, you know, I don't want to kill 10 million people. That's the way of the world talking, that mass genocide is just casual, right? That's how the world operates, force, violence, taking. The way of wisdom is entirely different. The way of wisdom to fear God as king. If you fear God, you can't fear Caesar. You either love one or the other. Kohelet literally pits war against wisdom. It says they are opposites. They are different methods. Wisdom is better than warheads. And then he concludes with this. As much good as you can do with wisdom, so can a sinner do with evil. Equal opportunity to do good or to do bad. Equal opportunity. So the application... When it comes to achieving something, there are three parts of achieving, I think, and I said this at the beginning, our methods, motivation, and missions. Sometimes all three are in step with God. Sometimes all three are in step with the world. Sometimes they're kind of mixed-mashed. For example, you and I, our goal may be to lose weight. For you, you want to live a long time, see your grandkids, live a good life, be healthy. For me, it may be insecurity. I may not want to be seen the way that you see me already. We have different motivations at that end, although we have similar goals. And we can run this through a variety of situations where we may have similar missions or similar motivations, similar methods. While my method may be overworking my body, your method may be just a standard routine. They can change. They can change. And that's the same thing with God's economy. 
that methods, motivations, and missions differ in winning as opposed to how the world wins. Throughout this text, we've seen that Kohelet has put the wisdom of God and the way of the world side by side. It's going to look different for us to win if we're going to follow the way of Jesus. It's going to look different how we set our missions and our motivations and our methods. It will be different. And this is why I want us to consider for ourselves. Where are your methods? Where are your missions? Where are your motivations perhaps out of joint with the way of wisdom? Through analyzing these things, I think that we're going to see We're going to see where we can actually step into the path of joy and life, where we can win according to God's standards as opposed to the way of the world. So let's look at a few of these examples in this text. What are some of the methods used by the world? Well, we've already said one. We said force. We said force. Force versus trust. Force. That's the might makes right argument. As a story with the king forcing your hand to achieve the victory, Maybe through abuse, whether that's physical, sexual, emotional, mental, that's choosing force to achieve and gratify yourself. It can also be, uh, it, it can also be through the workplace. You're manipulating people to get the job done. You force them to get what you want get done. You're moving pieces. You know, you're just like, oh, this is me hustling. You know, whenever you're actually hurting. You're not trusting God with the timing. You're actually moving people to do things that perhaps they're not ready to do yet and you haven't trained them to do yet. There's a lot of ways that we can choose force over trust. Forcing someone into relationships we shouldn't force them into. Force them into jobs or positions that we're not, they're not comfortable with. Or you yourself forcing the hand of God. You're like, brother, we got to get this going. And so you take a step ahead of him instead of trusting him instead of being patient with him. But the method of God's wisdom is trust. Instead of might makes right, God makes right. God's way achieves the win. It doesn't mean you don't do nothing, it just means you're actively waiting. You're praying. You're walking humbly. You're taking on sacrifice sometimes, as is healthy. Only when healthy, of course. Not abuse or anything like that. But sometimes you have to take on sacrifice. Maybe the company or the place where you work isn't where it needs to be yet. Instead of forcing them to be somewhere, perhaps taking the way of Jesus is to patiently guide and guard them. Trust versus force. Another example that we see in this text is in motivation. You see that this king is motivated by self-love. He's motivated by his methods, or he's motivating his methods by his own love, the love of himself. He's not taking in consideration the city. He's not taking in consideration the armies he's sending against the city. He's taking consideration himself. It's what's gotten him what he needs. His win is motivated by self-centered drivenness, and that's a popular thing in our society, right? Self-motivated is even on every single job description, right? And it's not all bad, but it does indicate where our society is at. That we are driven by ourselves more often than we are driven by the good of others. And we as Jesus followers don't have to step in line with every single thing that society tells us to do. Sometimes we need to consider others instead of ourselves, even in the jobs that you're thinking about right now. Some of us are so used to individualism, instead of living in community and 
asking people, you know, hey, should I take this job or not? You're just like, took the job. Can't serve anymore. You know, felt God call me to it. And it's like, what about us? I mean, like, we need you too. The church is a communal project. We all do this together. And so to be driven by self instead of driven by others is the way of the world. But wisdom's motivation is for the good of others. The poor man put himself on the line to confront the king. He embraced sacrifice to take care of others. Uh, I read this story this week uh, about a young woman. Um, her name was Sarah Rohr. Um, don't ask me to spell it. But um, she was 24. She was the daughter of her widowed mother. Uh, she's the only kid. And, uh, so, but she had a calling on her life. And at the age of 24... She had come to the conclusion that she was called to go serve as a missionary in, in Japan. And uh, her mother, up to the point of the boat sailing off, pleaded with her to not go. It's her only child. She's been widowed. It's understandable why she's there. But this is what Sarah said when her mother continued to plead with her. Mother, with exception of parting with you, this is the happiest day of my life. If we are lost at sea, Death will find us in the path of duty. Hmm. Let me read that again. If we are lost at sea, death will find us in the path of duty. Sarah's boat would disappear. She would never reach where she was called to go. Some of us would look at that and say, man, that was reckless. Completely reckless. But Sarah was convinced motivated by the will of God that even if she died on the way to what she was called to do, it was a win. God's will was a win. Doing it, practicing obedience, not even uh, being able to even step on the ground was obedience. That was a win for her. Counterculture. She wanted to see people come to know Jesus. She was seeking the good of others. Her way did not look the same as the way of the world. She had a completely different economy when it came to winning. Her motivations, her methods, her methods failed her. But the ultimate mission and purpose of her life was a win and a victory in God's economy. Another example that we see here is where we consider uh, motivation. You see this at the end. It says, knowing to know versus knowing God. Knowing to know, and this is seen in verse 11 if you want to look along, but it says how even the intelligent, I think it says, don't get bread, right? Um, some of us college students, you feel that more than others. Doesn't matter how much you know, you still don't get bread, right? That's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, but the world would classify knowing more and knowing more as a win. Now, there's nothing inherently evil with knowing, in fact, it's very good to grow in knowledge. But if your mission is to gain knowledge, to secure yourself everything you've ever wanted in life, then that may not be a mission that's going to last. It won't last. It may be a benefit to you in your life, but it won't last. It will not last. And it doesn't line up with God's mission just to seek knowledge. And that's the end of it. Instead, God says to know God is the goal. You can know things, but if you don't know God, to intimately know Him, to walk with Him, and to be in community with Him, you're not fearing Him, which isn't wise. Right? To know Him is to fear Him. 
That's what the Old Testament is talking about. When it's in the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Him. It doesn't mean that you are literally scared running away from Him, but as the King, because you know who He is, you know He's your authority. To seek knowledge for self-centered purposes is to affront the King. To know God is to make Him known. Jeremiah knew God and made Him known. Jeremiah knew God and made Him known. And Grant, he was even trained in the Scriptures. He was a priest, well-educated. But his mission wasn't just to get more education. His mission was to know God. If you're out of line with that, if your purpose is to know, and even if you're in college, and, and I'm, I've been in college, like, slow, like, I've graduated, but I, I've been taking graduate courses forever. Probably take them forever. Um, but a lot of us excuse our time in college or time after in college because, you know, excuse our, our, our lacking following after Jesus and to know Jesus because we say we're busy and instead we're seeking to know other things instead of actually know Him. We can't let those things compete. To know God is the goal of wisdom. And these are just a few examples and we have to consider in our life. Is our winning in line with the way of wisdom or is our winning in line with the way of the world? Jesus says it. John says it. Lots of writers in the New Testament say it. A good tree bears good fruit. You produce what you pursue. You produce what you pursue. It says in 1 John chapter 2, By this we know that we are in Him, Him being Jesus. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you're in Jesus, your walk, your methods, your motivations, your mission ought to look like Jesus. Mission, methods, and motivations are all tied back to the wisdom ultimately found in Jesus. If we claim that we're in him, we're going to walk like him. One of your missions or goals may be to kill that sin in your life that you've been struggling with. You know God's pointed it out to you. You know it. And that may be a goal in your life. But if your method doesn't include a regular prayer life, or it doesn't include feasting on the Word of God, you're out of method. You're out of step. You will never defeat a certain sin on your own if you're not feasting on the Word of God, if you're not actually spending time in prayer to pray against that particular sin. You should not be surprised that you see it in your life still if you're not actually in communion with Him. Your methods have to line up with your mission. Your methods have to line up with your mission. Your mission may to keep your family protected at night. Mine is. I lock the doors, lock the screen door, lock the, lock the double lock. You know, I turn on the security system. I make sure my dog is outside. You know, everything. Like, we're ready to go. That's good and fine. But if your method includes locking up children in cages to keep you safe at night or separate children from families... Good Lord, your methods are out of step in antichrist. The children can't even come to Jesus because they're locked in a cage. People can't even go to the children because of the laws. Your motivation may be, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go. You know, I want my job to serve as a mission field for God. You make dope things at your work cool designs, you may work with integrity, treat people well. But if you don't actually tell people about Jesus, 
If the words out of your mouth still don't speak the gospel, you will not change the world for Jesus. How will they ever know if you don't speak it? And that's for Disciple City Church. We talk about unleashing healthy disciple makers. A healthy disciple maker reproduces disciples. You can't make disciples if you don't tell them about the message they're supposed to follow. Healthy cells multiply. If your cells don't multiply, you're either about to die or you're already dead. We can talk about disciple-making all day in here. Our motivation, our mission, but if we are not telling people about Jesus, not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. We can't do it unless we actually line up our methods with the way of Jesus. No matter how much good intention you have at your work, that your work does indeed glorify God, and it is indeed what you've been made to do, but if you don't speak a word of Jesus, then you have fallen short. You may be on mission to start a new business in the neighborhood. No matter how fair, how fair trade your coffee is, if it's not a fair trade for the neighborhood, then your methods are not in line with Jesus. You, 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 may, uh, you may even read your Bible four times a week, but if you aren't motivated by a deep trust that God accepts you as you are, and you're operating out of a motivation of fear that your day won't go well, or your week won't go well because you don't read the Scripture that one time, you live in insecurity and fear because your day might go bad, motivation's off. No matter how many times you do it, your motivation is off. And this one comes down here as well. You may be motivated by unity in our body. We have an assortment of different colors in our group. You may be motivated by unity when you pursue racial reconciliation. But if your method doesn't include repairing the breach, if your method doesn't include repairing the wrongs against descendants of slaves and immigrants that we mistreated, it doesn't matter how charitable your motivation is. If not through equity, if not through empowerment at your own self-sacrifice, if not through reparations like Zacchaeus did, then your mission may only serve yourself and your own good conscience and not those around us. It does not matter how good-intentioned, does not matter how well-motivated, it doesn't even matter how hard you work. If we do not get our methods our motivations, and our missions in line, we won't be seeking after a win that God categorizes as a win, like Sarah or like Jeremiah. Ultimately, amen. You know, these three M's can help us see whose way we're trying to win at. Jeremiah 1. He was motivated by calling to do the things that God told him to do. To a mission to please God and make him known. A greater one that won a victory, though, is Jesus. His mission, his motivation, his methods were in line with the will of God, with a winning according to God. He's the promised Messiah. Jesus is the one that was promised to come, and he was dead set on the mission of God. 
to establish a kingdom where anyone and everyone is welcome to be forgiven. Anyone can be welcomed in repentance. His motivation was God's will. His methods were nonviolent, others-focused, self-sacrificial. He came and lived a life that gave life eternal. He's won, and he will win. Everyone today is welcomed into that. Everyone. The way of Jesus, one of self-sacrifice, motivated by love for God and others, on mission to bring everyone and anyone under his lordship. As John says, if you want to abide in him, you're going to walk the way that he walks. So you have to ask yourself, what does it look like to win in life? What does it look like to win in life? What does it look like right now that you're winning in life? Are you willing to be forgotten because you perform the will of God? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself to a point where no one will remember you, but you accomplish God's will? That's antithetical to the way of our world right now. Are you willing to take a means that may take longer? It may be sadder. It may be lonelier. But to follow the winning way of Jesus is to embrace his suffering and walk with him in his path that others might know Jesus and make him known. We're about to enter into communion. So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes, I'm going to pray over this and what we just received, and then Brother Daryl's about to come up to lead us through communion. I'm just going to pray and then hand it over to Brother Daryl. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word births life in our soul. It breeds discontentment with the way of the world, and it urges us and compels us forward to tell people about Jesus and make the world look like his world that it really is. God, each of us, each of us has an opportunity to enter into that winning path. Each of us has an opportunity to participate in his victory. God, there's some here today. There's some here today that do not know this path. That the way of wisdom sounds, honestly, sometimes tragic. Lord, give us eyes to see. Eyes to see that in your economy to follow the way of wisdom is to have life and have victory, even if the world says that's a loss. Help us count our lives as loss compared to the surpassing riches of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Help us desire that and lean into that and hope for that, God. Transform the way that we think, the way that we're motivated, the way that we move our hands and our feet, our methods, God. And transform our goals. Transform our goals. That they might be in line with what you want from our lives and not simply what we want. We pray that, dear Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.